Well, today is Wednesday, but it's in the middle of what's, what's called Passion Week. And if you grew up Catholic, you know exactly what I'm talking about, Passion Week. And if you didn't grow up Catholic, Passion Week just is the week just preceding Easter. So it includes all the events that happened um, preceding Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter. And this week, it's, it's not, I don't think it's an accident. This week, the, the, one of the oldest cathedrals in the world burned, the Cathedral of Notre Dame. It's a big deal, a lot of history. I mean, it was 900 years old. Um, it burned. It's one of the landmarks of the, of the um, French Catholic Church, and a uh, huge, huge deal. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of news as it relates to the church this week, even in the, in the, all over the mainstream media, it's all, all over the place. So what we have is we have an opportunity. We have a talking point. We can bring it up, and we have a talking point this week that's very unique and very special, actually. So tonight, I'm going to talk to you about the title of my message is, What a Week. Sometimes you'll have a busy week, and I'll hear somebody say, what a week, right? Well, today we're going to talk just briefly for the next few minutes about the kind of week Jesus had leading up to Good Friday. And when I say Good Friday, it's not good in the sense of, woo-hoo, thank God it's Friday. It's more like the results of Friday were good, that's why we call it Good Friday, uh, so it's the final days preceding the crucifixion. So it starts off Matthew 21. We talked about that. Pastor talked about that Sunday. That was Yashana, right? Yashana, victory now. And it says, verse Matthew 21, 5 through 9, it says, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. So Jesus is on this, this colt. And a very, very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and laid them on the road. And the multitudes who went before him followed, cried out, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And that's Palm Sunday. That's what we just celebrated last week. That's Palm Sunday. So they're, they're, the whole crowd is screaming. They're having this waving palm branches. I mean, it's pandemonium everywhere. It's pandemonium. They're saying, Yashana, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, crowned, they're ready to crown Jesus king. So what does he do? Right after he gets almost, they tried to crown him king. What does he do right afterwards? The very next verse. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. He drove out those who bought and sold. He overturned tables of money and in the seats of those who, who sold doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So they, they, they want to crown him king, 
And the first thing he does after they want him to, they want to crown him king is he goes over to the temple, he kicks over their tables, says, get out of here, you bunch of crooks. You've turned God's house into a, into a, a marketplace and you're a den of thieves. Get out of here. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a very good way to stay on the good side of the people that are running those tables, right? If he wanted to be popular with the religious leaders, he wouldn't have done that, correct? So that's the first thing he did. Then, now in the morning, so he went to the temple, and then as he's coming back, in the morning, he was hungry, and he saw a fig tree, and he came to it and found nothing on it, and he said, let no fruit ever grow on you again, and immediately the fig tree withered. So that's, so right after he gets crowned, or he got not crowned, but at, right after the triumphal entry, he right away goes and kicks over the tables, and then he goes and, and curses the fig tree, and we know all these stories, but it's right afterwards. And it says, if you have faith in God, don't doubt, and not only do what's done to this fig tree, but you shall say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and, it'll do, and it will be done. Whatsoever things you ask for in prayer, believing, you shall receive. And then he goes and goes on this teaching, like almost binge of teaching, right? The parable of the two sons. So the first son, so then he goes to the next place and he, and he starts speaking to the people. And he says, there was a man, he had two sons. And he asked the sons to go work in the harvest field. And the first son said no. And the second son said yes. But the first son, after he said no, he reconsidered and he went and obeyed his father. And the second son, after he said yes, decided not to do it. Which son do you think honored his father? And the Pharisees say, well, obviously the first one, because though he said no, he actually obeyed. And then he said, he basically said, yeah, you're the guys that say yes, but you don't really obey. And these publicans and sinners, they said no, but now they're going to obey. And they're going to have a place at the table, and you're not, is what he told these guys. So then the very next one, he talks about the parable of the wicked vine dressers. So he tells the story. He says, there was this man, he had a vineyard, and he, he had put some people in charge of his vineyard. And about the time for the harvest, he sent a servant to go collect the proceeds of his vineyard. And he, said, and he went there, and these guys beat up his servant and sent him back empty-handed. So he sent another servant, and they beat up that one and sent him back empty-handed. And then he said, finally... They, they killed the next servant, and so he finally sent his son. He said, surely they'll respect my son, and, and then they killed the son. And he says, what do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do to those people? It says he's going to kill them and take away everything that he has put in, them in charge of. And he was speaking of the Pharisees being the stewards of the vineyard. And they knew it, and he knew they were, he was talking about them. Then he talks about the wedding feast. There was a man, he had a wedding, and he invited all of his friends, but his friends wouldn't come. So because they wouldn't come, he, go, he said, we invited all the lame, the lepers, all the re rejects from the city, and he, and he bid all them come in. And he says, and the people that were originally invited they're not going to be let into the party. We're going to be full because it's going to be full of all these rejected people because the people that he invited first said no. Who do you think those people were that he invited first? 
it was the Pharisees and the Jews. See, all these parables, he is basically telling the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, listen, you're God's chosen people, but you're rejecting me and I am God's Messiah. And you're gonna get rejected because you're rejecting me. So then they try to talk him into getting into a, um, some kind of an argument about is it legal to pay taxes and, he's, and he, he, he says, hey, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, render to God what's God's. Then they talk about the resurrection and they start talking about, well, if a man was married and he died and his brother married and then, and then he died and then the other brother married her in the resurrection, whose wife would she be? And he said, ah, you don't even know the scriptures in the in the." In the next life, in the kingdom of heaven, there's not going to be husband and wife. Nobody's going to be married. Or If you knew the scriptures, he says, you wouldn't be asking that question. So then he talks about what's the greatest commandment of all. And then he talks about seven things that the Pharisees do that are awful. He says, woe to you Pharisees and scribes, for you're blind leaders of the blind. Woe to you Pharisees and scribes, for you tithe of the mint and the cumin and all the different spices that you have, but you ignore justice and mercy. Woe to you. And he basically points out all the Pharisees' hypocrisy, and he basically is just poking them in the eye. If, if you want to, that's what I would call it. He's like, he's poking the bear. He's saying, hey, by the way, you guys, you, you're hypocrites. Oh, by the way, you guys, you're hypocrites. He keeps poking them. And he was doing that to incite them to, to really look at themselves and say, is he right? But they were too proud to do that. He then laments over Jerusalem. He predicts the destruction of the temple. He foretells the great tribulation. He predicts the coming of the Son of Man. The Pharisees called this, he says, and you will see the Son of Man, referring to himself, coming on the clouds. And they said, oh, blasphemy, right? And they, they, they see that as blasphemous. But he really was the Son of God and the Son of Man. But so he, he talks about him coming back on the clouds to judge the nations. He foretells that. He tells the parable of the, the wise and the foolish virgins, where there was five wives, five wise, not wives, five wise or smart, and five foolish virgins. And he, he, that's a parable of five people that were ready for the return of Jesus and five that weren't ready for the return of Jesus. And he tells that parable and he, he speaks very clearly about being filled with the Spirit because oil is always, the Spirit and oil are always synonymous. And having your lamp trimmed and burning bright and being filled with oil and having your lamp trimmed and burning bright with the, with the gospel and the preparation of the gospel of peace. So he does that. He talks about the parable of the talents. Have you got the picture yet? But well, he was busy. For a few days, he was busy. He went to Simon's house, and he was anointed. That was where they broke the alabaster box, remember? They break, the, the, the woman of ill repute 
breaks the alabaster box and it's got this really expensive ointment. Now, from scripture it says that that ointment was worth 200 days wages, which is about an annual salary for a laborer. So today, in today's, in today's world, that'd be $20,000 for general labor. I mean, that's a pretty big deal, a $20,000 jar of perfume that somebody broke over Jesus' feet and she wiped it up with her hair. And he's, you know, and Judas, who was a thief, right? You all know that, right? Judas was complaining, saying, oh, if, if that was sold, it could have been given to the poor. But really, he was just stealing out of the box anyway. But Jesus said, leave her alone. She's anointed me for burial. Think about that. Here he is a few days before he's going to go and suffer on the cross. He's going to be beaten and, and tortured and eventually die. And he says, leave her alone. She has anointed me for burial. It's amazing. I want you to get the picture here Right after that, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. You know that. Right after that incident, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. I want you to get the picture here that the crucifixion was not a surprise to Jesus. You get that? Early on in his ministry, the very first, the very first time he publicly spoke, it says in Luke chapter, where am I? Luke chapter 4, did I pass it? There it is. Luke chapter 4, verse 28. It was one of Jesus' first messages, Luke chapter 4, verse 28. It says the people, after Jesus got done speaking, it says the people were so furious, the, the Pharisees were offended, and they were furious. It says that they forced Jesus out of town, took him to the edge of a cliff, and they were going to throw him over the cliff. They were going to kill him right there, the very first time he spoke. The very first time Jesus really publicly spoke, they, were gonna, they tried to kill him. You know what happened, though? Jesus walked through the crowd. Why? Because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. Another time it says that Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem for a while. He said, for the time isn't yet. So what, I, what, it, what it appears to be is that when they anointed, or when, they, when, the, when the woman anointed him, when all these things took place with the, with the Palm Sunday, with the triumphal entry, Passover's coming. Jesus knew his time was near. And he got, and he did a whole bunch of teaching, very important things in the next few days. And he basically forced the hand of the Pharisees to, to kill him. He basically forced their hand. He kept telling them, that they were hypocrites. Woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you teachers of the law. Woe to you people. Because you're hypocrites. It's like Jesus knew he came to die because it says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. See, many times people have this idea 
They feel sorry for Jesus. Understand something. No one killed Jesus. Jesus offered his life willingly as a sacrifice. No one killed Jesus. They did not do this to Jesus against his will. He wasn't fighting, begging for mercy. He knew exactly what he was doing. He never once said, the only time he ever said, take this cup from me was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was talking to God and he said, if there's any other way, let's do this another way. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, he did all these things and it appears, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make some kind of big conclusion, but when you look at all the scenario, what happened right after the triumphal entry, it's like Jesus said, well, we gotta get this done by Friday because the Passover is Friday and I'm the lamb, I'm the sacrificial lamb that has to die at Passover. And about the time they killed the Passover lamb is when he was on the cross. The, the, the actual timing of it could not have been more perfect. See, Jesus was the lamb of God. The Passover was a type of what Jesus was going to be. So it's like he forced the hand of the Pharisees, and by forcing the hand of the Pharisees, he was forcing the hand of the devil and the kingdom of darkness to kill him. It was like he was saying, I dare you kill me. I double dog dare you try to kill me. I dare you because you know what? You don't know what's on the other side of my death. You know, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8, it said, if the, if the rulers of this world had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus tricked them. Do you get what I'm saying? If, it says, if the rulers of this world had known what was going to happen after Jesus was crucified... And after he rose from the dead, if they had known what the end game was, what God's end game was, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says that very specifically. So by, by Jesus coming in on the, on the donkey and they proclaiming him, basically proclaiming him king or trying to make him king, <clears throat> and then him teaching very specifically and pointing out the, the Pharisees and the, the, the rulers, the Jewish rulers, pointing out their flaws and their hypocrisy, he forced their hand into doing God's plan for his life. He was born to die. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to be the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Do you see the genius of God's plan? If the, if, the, if the enemy, if the kingdom of darkness had realized what was going on, they would have said, no, 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 don't kill him, don't kill him. God's just going to raise him from the dead, and then we're going to lose all of humanity because he's going to redeem them. And the only way to redeem them is by blood and innocent blood, and he's the only innocent person that's ever lived. See, but they didn't know that. Why? Because they're blinded because God won't give them that wisdom. So God hid that from them, and they played right into God's hand. So what looked like absolute failure, what looked like absolute defeat for Jesus, I mean, they beat him beyond recognition, which, by the way, he allowed them to do. 
He could have stopped it, but he allowed it. They spat upon him. They humiliated him. They hit him in the face. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him. They put him to shame. He was betrayed by his friends. People that 24 hours earlier had said to him, I'll go to prison. I'll die for you, Jesus. Within, 24, within 12 hours had denied him and basically swore that they didn't know the man to save their own skin. But he didn't have to suffer any of that because he could have changed everything. At any given time, he could have walked away. He could have walked, he could have absolutely gotten out of it, but he didn't. He chose not to. He chose to stay right there. You know, one of the great, one of the great scriptures I just love is John 18, 6. John 18, 6, it talks and it says, um, the, the soldiers are coming to the, to the garden and Jesus is there with his disciples on the, on the, night, before, the night he was betrayed and the soldiers come <laughs> and he says, whom do you seek? This is John eighteen six. He says, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answers back, I am he, now, I want you to look this up in your Bibles. John 18, 6, so you can know right here. Now, when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. All he said was, I am he. And when he said that, they all fell down. In the, in the Amplified and in some of the, the expository uh, script writings about this scripture, it says they all fell down backwards like dead men. They all just went. Pfft. All he said was, I am he, and they all fell down. Now that tells you something about the power of Jesus. He spoke the word, and the centurion's servant was healed. He commanded demons to leave the demoniac of Gadara and thousands of demons left this man and went into a bunch of pigs and the pigs all ran down the hill. He spoke to blind men, laid his hands on deaf. They spat upon another, another on the ground and put it on a guy's eyes and made him see. See, Jesus was not lacking in power. When he spoke the word, it says in the Bible that he spoke and all things came into existence. He created the world that we're living in with his words. So when they said, whom are you seeking? And he said, I am he, that knocked them straight down. And what's really amazing to me is they had the stupidity to get back up and try to arrest this man who just knocked them down by saying, I am he. But they actually did. They got back up and they, they arrested him and he willingly went and he went on his way and he had a, a mock trial and it was the, uh, a bunch of fake news, a bunch of liars came up and said a bunch of lies about him and they condemned him and then they took him to Herod and then he laughed at him and then he went back to Pontius Pilate again and then he eventually out of a, a mob rule they condemned him to die. In the middle of all this over the next few days, I want, you to, I want you just to think about this. And that's what makes Jesus' sacrifice even more 
meaningful. Nobody killed Jesus. Nobody took his life. You don't need to feel sorry for Jesus. When you watch that movie, The Passion of Christ, it's brutal. It's awful. Okay, I watched it. It's, it's really tough to watch. But you know what? Don't feel sorry for Jesus. Be thankful that he did all that for you. That's what you can cry about. If you want to cry, cry saying, that should have been me being beaten and whipped. That should have been me being sent to hell. That should have been me hanging on that cross. That should have been me. That you can be, but when you cry, cry tears of thankfulness and joy. Don't feel sorry for Jesus. Jesus did what his father sent him to do. He, he accomplished the mission that the father sent him to do. He said right when he came, John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That was his life purpose. His life's purpose was to die and to bear the sins of the world and be raised again. So when we go into Friday, when you watch The Passion or when you, whatever it is you do to celebrate and to remember it's not really a celebration. It's more of a remembrance of what Jesus did. When you're doing that, just remember, he did it for you. It was awful. It was every bit or more awful than what that movie portrays. But he knew what he was doing. Did he suffer? Absolutely he suffered. Was it awful? Absolutely it was awful. It was horrible. But nobody did it to him against his will. He willingly laid down his life. At any given moment, I love one of the interactions that he has. Pontius Pilate talks to him and he says, don't you know I have the power to release you and I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus looks at him and says, you don't have any power except that which came from my Father which is above. He's just like, listen, you think you've got power? If I wanted to, I could call 12,000 angels and they would kill all of you. All Jesus would have had to do is go, be gone. And it would have been like a nuclear explosion and everything would have, it would have been gone. Because that's the power that he has. That's all he would have had to do. He could have obliterated, every, vaporized every person and, and torn every building down that fast because he has that much power. But he chose not to. What is the definition of meekness? Strength under control. He was the definition of meek. He could have called 10,000 angels, the song says, but he didn't. He could have obliterated all of his enemies in, a, in one swipe of his hand, but he didn't. Why didn't he? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And sat down excuse me, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. 
He endured the cross. Why? Because he saw through the lens of time, because you remember, he is God. He is all God and all man. And he saw 2019, and he saw your face. He said, how in the world? No, that's stupid. Don't say that. No. God knows the number of hairs on your head. See, don't think that God is like us. God is not like us. We're hoping to become like God, but God is not like us. God is like no, so much bigger and greater and smarter and so much more capacity than we could ever even imagine. Our finite brains cannot even begin to imagine how all-knowing, all-loving, all-encompassing, all-powerful and everywhere present God is. He saw your face. He saw through the lens of time people that would have a relationship with the Father. He saw the way that people could come to the Father that were lost, that they could come to the Father and have relationship with the Father and become children of God, that we could cry out, Abba, Father, Father, God, Daddy, God, and have a true relationship with God. And that only happens because of what Jesus did on Calvary. The only way that we can have relationship with God is through the shed blood of Jesus. So as we remember this Friday, and remember that it wasn't by accident, it wasn't a, a crime, it was actually a master plan that God devised thousands of years earlier, and it came to fruition on that Good Friday, on that Passover. It came to fruition. God's plan came to completion, and the sacrifice was made. The sacrifice to end all sacrifices was made that day that it didn't have to sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats any longer because the Son of God himself sacrificed and shed his blood to take away the sins of the world once and for all. No more blood needs to be shed because that shed blood was pure blood. It was holy blood. It was the blood of God. And it was shed to pay for all of our sins once and for all. Never again do we have to sacrifice animals to cover our sins because we've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been justified. It's a beautiful day. We can remember and remember that sacrifice, but remember it wasn't an accident. It was God's plan, and God's plan was to redeem you because he loves you, and he loves all of us, and he loves your neighbor, and he loves the people across the street, and he loves us. So he did that plan so he could have relationship with us. Bow your heads with me. Today, if you've, if you've never made, if you've never had that relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you say to me, boy, I never knew this. He died for me. I mean, I've heard about it, but this is, this is, this is crazy. He really died for me. Yes, he really died for you. He really did. He didn't just die for the masses. He died for you. If you've never made him Lord and you want to make him Lord, I want you to lift your hand right now and I'll pray with you. You know, 33 years ago, I prayed this prayer. 34 years ago, I prayed this prayer and I was born again. 
because all my sins were washed away. If you say, I need my sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, lift your hand up right now, wherever you are, lift it up. I'll pray with you right now, right where you are. We'll wa- you get washed clean in the blood. We're going to pray. Thank you, Father. Just repeat this prayer with me, if you would, all of us. Just repeat this prayer. Say, Father God, thank you for the blood of Jesus. I receive forgiveness. I receive cleansing for every wrong thing I've ever done. I am born again by the Spirit of God, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you love me and you have a great plan for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, I thank you for each of us, that, Father, you would empower us, that you would embolden us, that, Father, you light a fire down on our soul that can't be contained, that can't be controlled. Light a fire in us. And as we go from this place, I thank you that you light a fire in us, that, Father, that we'll go and touch other people, that we'll go share the good news, that we'll just go share the the forgiveness of sins, the, the new life that we have in Christ, that we'll share that with every person that you lead us to. And we thank you, Father, that you are at work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.